customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're back. It is a Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's the M&M crew, as we like to call ourselves. It's uh, Mendes and McAdoo with you for the next hour or so. Uh, coming up, we finally have our first big trade of the offseason. L.A. and Minnesota will dive into the Kevin Fiala deal. Uh, some interesting stuff going down this week with the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Sean had some some fun columns on that uh, front and an interesting one, too, on, on Herb Carnegie, which I think we should uh, certainly highlight, so we'll talk about that. We're going to introduce our listeners to the the, uh, the term Cond Smythe. Again, we'll, we'll explain that a little bit later. Have some fun uh, emails to get into, including what's the worst division of all time? Uh, some This Week in Hockey History looks back at uh, maybe the best one-for-one trade in the history of the game, or certainly in terms of star power, it's up there. So we got a lot to get to here. And uh, Sean, I'll tell you what, it felt like uh, the offseason officially kicked off this week. Minnesota and LA pulling the trigger on a very significant deal. And I I think my takeaway from this is, look, LA was always kind of like, hey, we're rebuilding and we don't want to, we don't want to really signal whether or not we're a contender. Look, they made the playoffs last year. To me, this is LA saying, it's go time by by trading for for Kevin Fiala. 
it, it, it feels like that anyway. I mean, is that fair to say that the LA Kings are now, they're not pushing all of their chips into the table, but they're certainly saying we're, we're a believer that we're a playoff team again next year. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's, uh, it's not all the chips going in. It is, it's a handful of them. And it's, uh, look, this is a team that's saying most of us didn't think was going to be a playoff team last year. They were. They took the Oilers to seven games without Drew Doughty um, and then watched the Oilers roll over a Calgary Flames team that we thought was the, the class of that division. I think if you're the Kings, you're, you're looking at the other teams in that division where they're at and you're saying, we can absolutely make the playoffs again. Maybe we can be one of the best teams in, in the Pacific. Maybe we can have home ice. Maybe we can even go for, you know, can, can we pass Edmonton and Calgary in the standings? We probably could. Vegas is, is still a big question mark. We, we don't really know what to expect from them. But um, it's, it's fascinating to me because the Kings have been doing what I would consider a classic rebuild. You know, they, they didn't strip it all down. They didn't move Doughty, Kopitar, uh, guys like that. Um, but they, they did the typical, Hey, we're going to take a step back. We know we're not going to be very good for a few years. We're going to get some high picks. We're going to amass prospects. Uh, we're going to have future assets. And then now they're at the point that is the tricky part because we see this all the time where teams do the rebuild and it's important and you have to know when to do it. But the teardown is the easy part. And getting a bunch of picks is, I don't know if I want to say the easy part, but you know we, we all know how that goes. You trade established players, you get picks back, you get enough picks, eventually you're going to hit on a few of them. You're going to have some good prospects. Corey Promen's going to have you in his top five or top 10 for the, uh, the, the, the farm systems. This is the hard part is then how do you put that vehicle back in gear and start moving forward? And we've seen all sorts of teams over the years that haven't been able to do that step. You know, every team that's ever rebuilt at some point has had a good farm system and, you know, a good outlook for the future. But then how do you get moving forward? And, you know, we've seen the, the, the Sabres being the classic example of a team that they put it in gear and they just spin their wheels and they, they never went anywhere. And, you know, the, the, the Senators, the team you cover, are sort of struggling with that right now. Of how do we make that next step forward? This is the Kings, and they kind of did it last year a little bit with Victor Arvidsson, but they're doing it again this year saying, we want to start taking steps forward, and we're willing to part with some of that future capital in order to do it. Still have a very good system. Still have um, you know lots, lots either on the way or lots to work with. But yeah, very clearly saying, this is now, it's time for us to, to start making steps. It's not good enough to just have moral victories and finish last, we've got to actually, uh, at the very least, make the playoffs. Maybe it's time to win a round, uh, or maybe even more than that. That's the sort of move you make, and it's the trickiest part. It's the hardest part, and I think the Kings have done a really good job of getting themselves to this point, and then we'll see if this move works uh, to get them where they need to be next. What I find interesting, too, is the other side of this is, like, where are the Minnesota Wild going? Because this is a team that, you know, 50 win season, 100 points was a legitimate contender in the West. I don't think there's any doubt about that. This season, they were a legitimate contender. And now they're headed to cap jail uh, for, for the next little bit because of those Suter and Parisi deals. That's really why they couldn't afford to keep Kevin Fiala, right? Like, it's not like mm -hmm. they don't like the player. It's just that they just don't have the room. So, like, what are you, like, if you're Bill Guerin in the Minnesota Wild, like, what are you trying to tell your players? What are you trying to tell your fan base? Because now, you're in one of those really tough spots where you're in the murky middle, where you're not quite bad enough to be a lottery team, but you're not good enough to be a contender. And now welcome to, yeah, the, the murky middle, the mushy middle. And like, like, what does this mean for the wild? 
trading Kevin yeah. Fiala for a couple of picks. And, and I'll a give pro- sorry, a prospect and a first round. A prospect and, and you know, and apparently a, a, a good prospect, uh, maybe even a very good prospect, not a blue chip future superstar lock uh, sort of guy. Um, but they, you know, they got, they got a decent package back and Kevin Fiala, we all knew he was on the market. So, uh, any team, uh, for weeks has had the opportunity to step forward and make an offer. You assume this is the best that was out there. I'll give Bill Guerin credit for this. He has, he hasn't played any games with this situation. He, he said really from, you know, even during the season, certainly at the end of the season, you know, he made it very clear that, look, we want Kevin Fiala back. We just might not be able to do it. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't think, uh, and Minnesota wild fans can, can dispute this if, if they feel I'm mischaracterizing it, but I, you know, I don't feel like there was any false hope here that, uh, you know, unless there was some really, you know, Kevin Fiala is going to get a big deal. He deserves a big deal. Uh, and they just couldn't afford it. And so they did the next best thing, which is you go out and get two pretty good assets, uh, neither of which is going to cost you anything, uh, on the cap next year. Um, Bill Guerin did what he had to do. I, I think if there's a criticism of him, it's you, you go back in last year and you criticize the buyouts because we all knew this was happening. We all knew that uh, when they made the decision to buy out Zach Parise and especially the decision to buy out Ryan Suter, everybody looked at the cap friendly page and we realized that last year, the 21-22 season, th- there was a window there where the, the, the full weight of that didn't hit. But now it's they've got three years where it's like 12 million, 14 million. Just bird, just gone off the cap. That's going to be really hard to compete with. Um, and yet, at the same time, it's not—it's uh, not a situation where you're—you can rebuild here because you've got Kirill Kaprizov, who's got four years on his deal. Like this is your window with him, the best player arguably in the history of the franchise. Um, so you can't really take a step back. It, it again—it just the buyouts last year were a very confusing situation to me, and and we knew there was going to be a price, and now we're we're sort of seeing them have to pay it. So Fiala is the first domino to fall. In the offseason. And, and and every look, we go through this every year where we're like, well, there's going to be a bunch of trades, but it does feel like there are some legitimate big names on the market this year. Alex DeBrincat, there's some some smoke around there. JT Miller in Vancouver, um, you know, Clayton Keller. Like, like there's a lot of players who might be in play. Does Fiala's move set the the table, you think, at all? Or like kind of maybe, you know, how sometimes it's a bit of a log jam and then one move goes and then it's Away we go. And we should point yeah. out, look, we're recording this on, on Thursday uh, morning. So by the time we listen to this, hey, maybe there's been, heck, even uh, Thursday morning, Craig Anderson signed an extension in Buffalo. I didn't see that coming. He's 41 years old, whatever. And uh, so you never know what what's going to happen. Well, but I kind of feel like. I didn't know that. So I'm updating my power rankings right now for. Uh, there you with, go. With the Craig Anderson news. Okay. Craig Anderson, one more year. Uh, listen, guys like us in our 40s, we should be rejoicing. Anytime yeah, somebody true. in their forties gets an extension, that is it's good for us. Good job, good Craig. For us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's look, we're it's domino season, right? This is the the type time of year where we we just constantly say every move. Okay, maybe that's here go the dominoes, right? There's one move that we're waiting for, and and maybe this is it. And you never know. I mean, sometimes you've got a guy. You know, Kevin Fiala was. In fact, when the Athletic put out its trade board yesterday for the first time yesterday morning, he was number one on the list. Stayed there for a few hours, and uh, and and now he's off. Um, but he was he was you know the big name, or certainly one of the big names. And now you wonder, okay, so what happens with the teams that were talking to Minnesota that were interested? Uh, do they now circle back? Do they go to an Alex DeBrincat, who presumably would maybe even cost more? 
do they go to somebody else or they call in Vancouver about JT? Like there's any number of ways it could go. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the, the big, the big, uh, piece of this is we're a week away from the draft. And so this is, this is the week, because if you're a GM, you're going to get picks. You want to pick now you want to be able to use it. You want to be able to use it next week, put a guy in front of your fans and say, this is who we've got. Uh, you, you know, would you take a pick next year? Yeah. Especially with Connor Bedard, you, you know, in that uh, very strong draft, you'd be okay with that. But GMs tend to be impatient. They want the pick now. They want to get the guy into the system right now. So I do think we'll see a lot of movement over the next week, whether it'll be, you know, today and over the weekend or whether it'll kind of wait till everybody gets to Montreal. Uh, that remains to be seen this deal, you know, obviously a case where the Kings made their move early. The wild obviously had a, a, a price where they presumably, went to LA and maybe some other teams and said, here's the package it will take. If you say yes, we have a deal right now. And if not, then, then we don't. And, and LA said yes. And so, you know, a nice bit of work by Rob Blake, cause he's now got an item off of his shopping list, uh, before he even heads to Montreal next week. So the, the draft goes next week. Free agency opens the week after that, which is the 13th of July. There'll be some buyouts I'm sure in, in between, uh, every year we also talk about, RFAs and offer sheets. And look, it, it actually happened last year. And I know that there was a little bit of backstory to that. And it wasn't, it was, it felt a little bit more like there was a, a storyline as to why Carolina went after Jesperi Katkaniemi. Not so much. They wanted to, they wanted to go back after Montreal after the Yahoo thing. Mm-hmm. If I, if I, I'm asking you to put a percentage odds from 0% to 100% that we get a legitimate offer sheet this summer that would be kind of, you know, viewed as wow, that's a that's a predatory move, or somebody somebody's targeting somebody else's young star, going after him, like and, and, you know Matthew Kachuk, or you know whatever, mm-hmm. whoever you want to put it, zero percent to a hundred percent. What are the pre- odds that we see uh, a legitimate offer sheet in the month of July? Okay, legitimate is in it works like it did last year, or legitimate as in um, just an attempt because we you know we an have attempt. Sebastian Aho I, I want a, a real ago. attempt. 40%. Oh, that's I'm high, you know what, that's higher giving, than I thought. I'm giving you a high number and yet still less than, than 50-50. So still more likely than not that we don't see it. But, I, you know, I do think there are uh, some scenarios out there. And and maybe it's not the Matthew Kachuk level guy. Maybe it's not the, you know, it could potentially cost you four first round picks or, or whatever it is. Um, maybe it's, it's some more of those mid-level guys where you can go and say, Hey, this will only cost us a first or only cost us a second. I know that, um, Jesse's written that Vegas is potentially vulnerable to that. They've got a couple of guys, um, who, you know, we, we know their cap situation. They're, they're pretty close to maxed out. If some team were to slip in and say, you know, we're going to give a guy 3 million a year, Vegas might just have to say, we'll take a second round pick or whatever it is. And we'll let them go. I, I think you could certainly see something like that. I mean, every year. We lay out the case of why it should happen. And every year it doesn't happen, except for the last couple of years. And, and last year it actually worked for the first time in forever, at least as far as getting the player. We can debate whether that actually, quote unquote, worked for uh, Carolina or not. I guess we, we need a few more years to figure that out. Um, it's it, GM should be doing it. It's a tool in their toolbox. Uh, and it, it's ridiculous that it's as rare as it is. But, uh, you know, maybe the fact that we've actually seen it done, we've seen it work, um, maybe that it gets some of these guys moving or at least gets owners and whoever else to say, I'm not going to accept the excuse that this just isn't done because clearly now these days it is done again, at least 
sometimes. So go out and use the tools available to you to try to get a star player for for my team. And now there's no way, like the Montreal Canadiens, there's no way that they go after, and Martin Nikash would be the guy from from Carolina. Like that's the, like, that's the end of the Montreal Carolina thing, right? Like, th- there's no way the Habs are going to go out and offer sheet knee cash, is there? You never, you never say no way. Uh, and, it's a new I regime mean, though with Montreal, right? It is. That's the thing, right? It's all, it's all different people. So in theory, at least, there's no uh, the bad blood should be gone. Although you know, it's ownership is still there, and it's a lot of times these you talk about bad blood. I mean that that can be it. It can be the owners that uh, that get into the mix. Um, I'd love to see it. I mean, that would make it make jobs like ours so much easier. Please, please do it, Montreal, and do it on like a Wednesday night or first thing Thursday morning, so that Ian and I can uh, dig into it when it's fresh. But yeah, I, I would say that's pretty unlikely. I'm I, I I will put the odds at that at let's go five percent, five percent, forty percent that we're going to get some sort of RFA offer sheet. Five percent that it's the Habs uh, going after one of Carolina's uh, Carolina's guys. Uh, yeah. I want to know too, like. Like to me, one of the best stories, and this is the first time you and I have uh, done a podcast since Colorado won the Stanley Cup. But I think it's really hard to not be happy for Nazem Kadri, um, mm-hmm. seeing what he obviously went through uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, both you know emotionally and physically. To see him hoist the cup, I think was was quite emotional for a lot of people. Uh, but he's now set himself up for a heck of a payday. Um, he had a season in which he produced like a number one center. My my concern mm-hmm. would be. I think he's more like a 2C. That's just me. But do you think there's any way they make it work in Colorado? Like, I know they've talked about it. And yeah. Nazem went, went on uh, the radio in Toronto and said the door is open. And the Avalanche have said, we'd love to keep him. But if you're Nazem Kadri and his agent, like, you have absolutely, like, you, you'll never have this type of leverage ever again. I think you got to go out and just go get the money, go secure the bag. But is there any way you see Nazem Kadri back in Denver next season? It's uh, it's really hard to to picture. I mean, the 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 Avalanche have got a ton of guys that they need to to re-sign, including Darcy Kemper, including you know the, some some key pieces. Not the core; the core is locked in. Uh, but uh, the the some of those secondary pieces and Nazem Kadri would fit into that category. They have cap space to work with, but they've got a lot of work to to do and. It, it's just hard for me to imagine, you know, I, it's a great fit. It was a great fit for the team. It's a great fit for the player. So maybe they can, you know, if, if, if uh, very often players are not looking to squeeze every single dollar, maybe he's, he's willing to take a little bit less, but, um, you know, Nazem Kadri is a guy who has never had a big, huge contract. I mean, the, the deal he's been on for the last five years is, was pretty, you saw it very often show up on lists of, um, bargain deals. And, uh, you know, if I'm his agent, I'm saying that we're two weeks away from free agency. We got to at least get there and see what's on the market. We got to see what some team out there is willing to give you because he's, he's a real interesting case because he's he's been a good player in this league for for a long time. He you don't see a lot of guys have career years at 31. Um, and yet there was a shift uh, for him, especially in the first half of the season where he had never really been asked to be a number one center in his career. And certainly in Toronto, you know, with Austin Matthews and John Tavares coming in. Um, and then he goes to Colorado with, with Nathan McKinnon. He had never asked to be the number one guy. And yet when Nathan McKinnon was out and he had to step into that role, he looked every bit like a certified number one center. So there's got to be some teams out there uh, who are saying this could be our guy. At his age, you wonder, you know, 
how many years is it going to be? And, and obviously, what is the cap number going to be? I think the odds that, Carol, or that Colorado is going to offer him eight years at his age is very, very low, uh, unless it's a, just a ridiculously low cap number. And so because of that, there's really no pressure to say we have to do this before uh, free agency opens, where, where that, it, we lose the ability to do that eight-year deal. Remember, Colorado let Gabriel Landeskog walk to free agency last year. Basically, to the eve of free agency, they let, they let Darcy Kemper go into, or uh, not Darcy Kemper, Philip Grubauer go to free agency, and and you know he got a bigger offer than they were willing to accept, and uh, that, that's fine. So I, I think Joe Sackick, look, maybe what you do is you say, to, if you're Joe Sackick, you say, Naz, Nazem Kadri, you did a fantastic job for us. You did everything we ever asked. Go to the market, see what's out there, then come back and let us know where you're at. And if, you know, if Philadelphia wants to give you seven years times nine million or something ridiculous like that, good for you. Go take it. And, uh, you know, we'll wish you nothing but the best. If it's something that's a little more in the wheelhouse of what we can do, we would love to have you. We'd love to have that conversation. But go ahead and see what's out there. You've earned the right to do that. Why is Philadelphia always the team that makes crazy uh, offers, right? He's such a Philadelphia guy, right? I heard, I saw this take from so many different fans, and I have to agree with it that, like, I, when he when he uh, had his uh, little moment on uh, on on Sportsnet on Canadian TV live TV telling everybody to kiss his behind that had like so many people were like he just shot up the Flyers chart like that is yeah. such a Flyers move yeah. like that that's an extra million bucks a year on a contract from the Flyers right there so uh, yeah it's hey he'd be uh, he they'd love him they'd love him in Philly I can tell you that much. Yeah, torts, torts and Nazem Kadri. That uh, that seems like what they're trying to do. If so you're what Buffalo, could possibly go wrong? Yeah, if you're Buffalo, and you're trying to get some traction, and you're trying to turn things around, would you go hard after Nazem Kadri? Look, they kind of did the same thing a few years ago with Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, O'Reilly was younger, and you know whatever. But if you're Buffalo, and you're trying to do something, is is Nazem Kadri a guy that you're you're saying, hey, let's let's go, let's go yeah, make a pitch I, on this guy? You know, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, boy, that that's I just at his age, you know, being a, a thirty-one. Uh, I mean, you're if you're buying, and you know, assuming if it's free agency, look, you're, it's it's going to be a multi-year deal. We we know how free agency works. You always have to give a few extra years, and usually the way it works is you go. We know it's going to get ugly those last few years of this deal, but the first few years is where we're going to get the value. So I, I think it's got to be a team that says we we are we're, we have a window. For the next few years, I don't know if Buffalo does yet. I don't think Philadelphia does either, but Philadelphia thinks they do, or at least the boss in Philadelphia thinks they do, and that's probably all that matters. Buffalo, I don't know. It's it's a lot like we just said with the Kings. When do you start pushing some of those chips in? When do you start making the move, or is it is it perpetual rebuild? Um, it, and and you know, let's also not forget Taylor Hall a few years ago. Buffalo surprised us with that move. Maybe maybe they yeah. make something like that again. Um, you know, I'd love to see it just as a Leafs fan, that Sabres Leafs rivalry, you know, someday is, is going to explode again. Having uh, Nazem Kadri in the middle of it would be all sorts of fun. I'm not sure if that that's the one that makes sense, but, but I mean, it's interesting because you look at it and you go, who's going to sign Nazem Kadri? It's going to be a contender, right? You figure it's a contender that needs a, a low end number one center or a top end number two center. Well, first of all, there's not a lot of contenders that need a center because, that's a key thing that makes you a contender. And there's not a lot of contenders out there that have a ton of cap space heading into free agency. So where's it going to be? It's it, He's going to be such an interesting one to watch. I really want to see where that lines up. Man, Taylor Hall in Buffalo feels like a fever dream. 
Yeah, honestly, I I, yep. I don't I don't have a single Felt memory like it at of the him time in too. And then it uh, yeah. yeah, it just didn't. It, we just immediately went into uh, what's he going to get at the trade deadline, and uh, and that was it. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, one other guy I want to ask you about, and I know that uh, you know Josh Yoey in Pittsburgh has been all over this story, making it seem like Evgeny Malkin, and to some extent Christopher Latang, but certainly Evgeny Malkin, um, might have played his last game in Pittsburgh, and that there is a realistic possibility that Gino is going to head elsewhere, and it feels like it's it's a dollar issue, right? Like term isn't the mm-hmm. issue; it's can we get him at a at a uh, at a dollar dollars amount and cap it? Uh, yeah, that 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 works. Um, like man, like there's a guy. I I said I think I said this to Haley last week on on the pod or earlier this week. I said I would love him of getting Malkin just like just go to Nashville or go to like some random team where you're like, wow, mm-hmm. ah, yes, like like I I just don't know where he goes. Um, if he doesn't go back to Pittsburgh. Where does it yeah. get him? Like, and, who's in the running for Evgeny Malkin? Because I think he's a hell of a player. I still think he's what does he want, a point right? of game like, guy. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know when he's healthy and at his his age, especially that's the question. Uh, there's always mystery teams that come out of nowhere at this time of year, right? This is you know Taylor Hall going to Buffalo was the ultimate example of that. Uh, so uh, it'll be interesting because you know what what does he want? It would be another piece of it. This is a guy that you know he's got the three cup rings. We talked about with Nazem Kadri, he said he's never really had a big contract. Well, Evgeny Malkin's had huge contracts throughout his career and, and well-deserved. So, you know, maybe the dollar value isn't the most important thing. But at the same time, you go, well, if the dollars wasn't the most important thing, he wouldn't he stay in Pittsburgh? Wouldn't they find a way to make that work? Um, there's all sorts of uh, scenarios that could could work out. There are teams that are uh, going to be looking, you know, th- this is a guy, even shorter window, where you're going to be saying, you know, for the next year or two, do we think we can win? I'm still holding out hope. I mean, people have heard me say this, but the, if, it's, if it's not Pittsburgh, you know where I want him to go? It's a team that needs a number one center because their guy's hurt and probably on LTIR for at least uh, for at least the next little while. Washington Capitals. Evgeny Malkin, oh, Alexander man. Ovechkin together going up against Pittsburgh. How much fun would that be? Maybe not too much fun for those two guys, but uh, I think I, I feel like they've buried the hatchet mostly. So let's, uh, ha- I mean, if you're a Penguins fan, and you wake up and you check Twitter or you pick up the newspaper or whatever it is and you find out Evgeny Malkin, you see Evgeny Malkin holding up a 71 Capitals jersey. How are you feeling if you see that? Well, okay, what would hurt a Penguins fan more? Malkin going to Washington or Marc-Andre Fleury going to Washington? Ooh, yeah, that's, uh, that is a tough, I feel, I feel like, like it's Malkin. Fleury. I, you no. think Fleury, eh? I, yeah, I, I see, I mean, Fleury, yeah. it's, it's just that he hasn't been there in a few years now. I mean, at this point, Marc-Andre Fleury has three teams 
past his his penguins uh, days and he'll always he'll be a penguin forever and you know they'll always love the guy there but um i don't know i mean just the the rivalry there i don't know uh that would uh, you know what screw it. let's do both let's do both why not both both of them both of them on on league minimum deals too just to, exactly yeah, yeah that's yeah. well i mean we've seen weird stuff like i mean i know we're going back forever but you remember paul korea right where he uh, yeah, he Solani. walks away from Anaheim because they they didn't pick up his op- he had a ten million dollar option they didn't pick it up this is in two thousand three so back in the days before where you could have an option they had a ten million dollar option they didn't pick it up and they said we want to work out a deal with you it's it's just got to be you know eight or nine or something like that and he couldn't make a deal and he walked away and then signed close to the league minimum in Colorado for a year and it was just this you know screw you Anaheim I'm going to go to a better place and I'll I'll make you know, and and uh, I, I I think it was maybe it was Burke was Brian Murray at the time was kind of like you, you just signed for a third of what we were offering you. Um, but sometimes you know you you mess with these guys' pride. Sometimes they make weird decisions, or at least decisions that seem weird to us on the outside because we're not, we're not in the middle of it, knowing everything that's being said and everything that's going on. That was the only time I think in hockey history where. Uh, you know, the NBA always has that feel of, you know, superstars will get together, go sign somewhere and try to win. To me, that was the only time um, that in the NHL, it felt like two legit stars in their prime in Korea and Solani mm-hmm. said, you know what? Uh, let's go together. Let's go to Denver. But the weird thing on and that. And do it at a discount. Because do it know, at a Parise and Suter did it for Minnesota, but not at a discount as we're. As as wild fans <laughs> are uh, are reminded every time they, they look at the cap situation. But yeah, they went yeah. like. Like uh, Solani took like medium money. He was like a four or a five uh, million dollar deal. And there was no cap back then, obviously. So, uh, you know, it was just a question of what you could afford. And Korea took like, I think the number started with the one. Um, and we yeah. all just went, we went, okay, they got these two guys. Patrick Wall was still there. You know, they've won the cup a couple of years. Like engrave the cup now, man. It's over. This is the dream team. And it just didn't work out. They both stunk in Colorado and the, and the, the team... Didn't go anywhere. But you know what? You you just, now you got me thinking on something. The year that they went to Denver, didn't Patrick Waugh just retire? Yeah, like, you're right. As, as you're saying that, because right? it was 2003. Because so, right? Anaheim had just been to the final. Yeah. With, with, and so Patrick Waugh retires that year. So that was it. We were, we were sitting there going, well, you know, Patrick's gone. It's kind of the end of the road. Oh, but now they've loaded up, and uh, you know they, they'll be fine with like who who was it? Was it David Abisher? Who, David was Abisher. The that? Yeah, okay, they'll be fine with him. You know, this Swiss kid, he's going to be good. And it, uh, yeah, it was just uh, Colorado didn't didn't win anything, and and more surprisingly, I mean, you look at their numbers, it was just like it just never got going for those two guys in what should have been a perfect situation. Yeah, no, that, that is yeah, it is weird to to think of that. Um, your column this week and 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 kind of kind of goes back a little bit to Nazem Kadri. One of your columns this week was introducing hockey fans to a brand new term, and it's called Cond Smythe, C O N N E D, Cond. Like you've been had, uh, you've uh, uh, in, in this case, Cond Smythe is a term to uh, an award, I guess I should say, that you handed out to the team that maybe inadvertently, accidentally helped the Stanley Cup champion. Uh, Reach that 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 summit, and this year the winner of the Con Smythe Trophy is the Toronto Maple Leafs because they ended up giving uh, Nazem Kadri. It was a to, tough call, though. You had a couple of uh, teams that were in the running. 
Joe Sackett's good at his job, man. The Islanders were a real tough one, and I know a lot of people, I I, I barely even mentioned it, were saying, like, what about an Ottawa-Nashville combo uh, for, you know, for for the Matthew Shane trade years ago? Montreal, uh, you know, obviously, the the, the deadline. There there were a lot of, it was one of these things where going through year after year, there were some years it was an obvious one. There were some years where it was tough because the team didn't make a lot of trades. This was the one where it was like, how do we even narrow down all of the teams that, that Joe Sackick has ripped off. And so what you did in this column, for the people that haven't uh, read it, um, Sean basically went back through the entire cap era, so every Stanley Cup champion since Carolina in 06. You looked at each year the team won the Stanley Cup, and you said, you know what, which team, what other team helped them out the most with a a trade or a roster move that benefited them? And um it was, listen, it was a fun exercise because you go back and I'm sure, you know, Flyers fans are probably boiling mad a couple of times because it felt like they were the team that won more. Con- Am I wrong on that? Did they win well, more con smites? They won two. Uh, they, they won, won two. two. Okay. The Leafs had two. And I think there may have Buffalo? been another. Uh, Buffalo had Buffalo. two. I know they had Buffalo the Ryan O'Reilly. definitely had the Ryan O'Reilly. That was the yeah. easiest one of all. No, you know, it was uh, Columbus because Columbus won it for both of the LA Kings years. Um, oh, right. For yeah. Jeff Carter and then Marion Gabrick as well. The uh, the next year. And again, I, I didn't find, I didn't get a lot of angry pushback from Flyers fans. Flyers fans are like in that fun place where, you know, they're, they're angry all the time, but you, they're angry at their own team half the time yeah. too. So if you go like, ah, that was a dumb trade. They're like, no, no, it wasn't a dumb trade. It was a really dumb trade. And you gotta, you know, you gotta be harder on us than that. Uh, so they, they, uh, they weren't too, too frustrated that, uh, that they showed up a couple of times, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Like, the first one I did because I did the cap era. So we start with Carolina in 2006 and I was sort of going back and forth. Gee, Rod Brindamore or Justin Williams, you know, they got, they got them both. And then I was like, Oh, they got them both from Philadelphia. Perfect. That makes it nice yeah. and easy. I don't have to pick one. Uh, so yeah, they, thank you to Bobby Clark for making my job easier. Uh, 15 years later. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was one column you wrote this week. Uh, another one uh, that, well, you were, you were, you were a busy guy this week. You were uh, just pumping out material here. Uh, and some of it had to do with the Hockey Hall of Fame. And, of course, we had the yeah. induction announcements uh, earlier this week. And, you know, look, this this happens every year. Induction announcement comes out, and everybody explodes in anger, rage, My favorite time of year, man. And I, this I year love was no, the debate. I love the argument. This year was no different um, because the and, – and now we're just looking at this strictly through the lens of the uh, – we, we can talk about the – the lack of women's candidates here in a second. Oh, yeah. Um, and because I, that, that absolutely deserves our oxygen and attention here. But a lot of people looked at the four main guys that went in as NHLers and said, this is a joke, that all four of them in Roberto Luongo, uh, Hank and Daniel Sedin, and uh, Daniel Alfredson combined for zero Stanley Cups. And that continually was, like, I, I was shocked at the amount of pushback I saw on that particular narrative of how could you elect four guys who had never won a Stanley Cup amongst them? It's it's and and yeah, I saw that too. I that hadn't even occurred to me when I saw this class. Like I that didn't even pop into my head. Guys, we got to get our heads around the fact that there's 32 teams in this league now, and we're in the era of parity. We are in the era where Gary Bettman wants he he wants 32 500 teams, except they'd be 550 because of the loser point. That's that's his <laughs> yeah. dream season. Uh, and, and every Stanley cup series is a 50, 50 coin flip. Like that's what we're, there are going to be really, really good players who just don't win Stanley cups. 
And, you know, you look at, um, you know, all four of those guys, they all went to the final. Um, you know, Daniel Alfredson was the, the you know, the, the captain and, and I would say probably best player on a team that that went to the final. Um, and uh, it, the, the three Vancouver guys, I mean, what, they they won 15 playoff games in a season, but if they'd won 16, they they would be Hall of Famers, but they won 15 because they're a bum. All four of those guys won gold medals in best on best Olympics. Uh, so, you, I mean, you can't even say they weren't winners or whatever that means. We just got to accept it. Like there's going to be a lot of really, really good players. This isn't the original six days. This isn't even the eighties when half the teams in the league were just trying not to go bankrupt. There's 32 teams. And in any given year, there's like 20 teams that could potentially win the Stanley cups. Guys having 10, 12, 15, even 20 year careers, there's going to be a lot of those guys who just never win. And if we if we consider that some sort of grand failing on a team with 20, 20 other guys, uh, we're, we're going to get to our, some really ridiculous places. I would, 10 times out of 10, rather have a guy like Roberto Luongo in the Hall of Fame with no Stanley Cups than you know, Kevin Lowe with six Stanley Cups as a second-pairing defenseman, you know, or, or, or the Sedins who were the first line in Vancouver on some absolutely outstanding teams um you know give me those guys over uh, you know some of these other guys who had a lot of cups by being the seventh best player on a team um daniel offertson we'll, yeah, we'll see about that maybe a little maybe a little different but i like the three yeah. vancouver guys going in there you go i knew i knew there would be some, some convince me convince me that daniel offertson is because i actually said this on on my other podcast yesterday daniel offertson to me is exactly in that zone where not that I didn't care, because I, I do care about the Hall of Fame. I think it's great. But I didn't feel like I had a strong opinion. Year after year, when he didn't get inducted, I went, yeah, that's that's fine. Guy had 400 goals. Yeah. You know, that he doesn't have to be in the Hall of Fame. And now that he's in, I'm like, yeah, sure. You could you could put Daniel Alfredson in the Hall of Fame. Like, he feels very borderline to me. But you had made the case for a few years that this guy absolutely should be in. Give us, like, the quick summary. Con- convince a skeptical... Uh, it may be a skeptical public or maybe just people who weren't in Ottawa and didn't, didn't really watch this guy and understand who he was and what he meant. Yeah. So let me, okay. So now that you've uh, put me on the spot here, let me, let me just pull yeah. this up so that I have the pertinent information. See, he's got to pull it out. He doesn't even remember. No, no, no. I want to make sure he doesn't accurate. remember any Daniel Alfredson moments off the top of his head. He shot the puck at a guy and he pretended to throw a stick into the crowd. That's it. That's the, the two. Daniel uh, Alfredson moments. Yeah, that that's exactly that's and look look and I understand like I want people to understand like I know that he is a uh, or was a bubble candidate like I know that I'm not saying he was a uh, lock it in but I like so I started to look this up okay so let let me let me try and walk you through this okay okay so in the history of the NHL in terms of Hall of Fame eligible players okay prior to this year there had been 15 players okay who had 1,000 points for one franchise and served as their captain for five seasons or more. Okay, so the, the parameters are you score 1,000 points for a single franchise and you're their captain for five years or more. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we're talking Eiserman, Sackick, Bork, uh, Ron Francis, Alex Delvecchio is on that. Uh, okay? Mm-hmm. 14 of them were in the Hall of Fame. One wasn't, and the one that wasn't was, was Alfredson, okay? Johnny Busick was on that list. Gilbert Perot was on that list. Um, what I thought was even more shocking to me was not only were those other 14 guys all in the Hall of Fame, 
all of them were first ballot Hall of Famers. All of them were first. Yeah. Ba- so look, and I, I was I never made the point that he was a first ballot guy. My point was the discrepancy between Alfredson and say a uh, you know Gilbert Perot or a Johnny Busick or even a Matt Sundin wasn't so great that one of them was a lock it in first ballot Hall of Famer. The other guy's like, nah, I don't think he should get in. Okay, so that mm-hmm. that's kind of point one. Um, you start to look at uh, guys in, and, and I think I looked this up. Yeah, I have it here. Okay, so players to score fifty goals and a hundred points. Uh, for a single franchise. And that's a pretty big uh, plateau. Now, I understand, too, that there's lots of guys, the Reckies and the Gilmores and the you know the guys that bounced around. I'm not trying to um, you know, penalize them for bouncing around. Yeah. But I think when you score 50 goals and 100 points for a playoff franchise, that's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty significant so this is, accomplishment. So this is playoff numbers, and you say 50 goals and 100 points in the playoffs for yeah. one team. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of the guys that uh, were Hall of Fame eligible, they're all in the Hall of Fame except for Alfredson. And all of them are first ballot guys except for Alfredson. So I'm like, okay, like I get it. Um, you know, and, and now we start to look at, you know, and I think one thing that's really tough too is the ability to adjust uh, to sort of uh, adjust for era, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. hard to say, you know, what would what would – Alex Ovechkin have done in the eighties or what would, yep. what would Gordie oh. Howe do today? Right. And so mm-hmm. I love the era adjusted points, right? Because what they yes. do is they take uh hockey reference takes the 82 game schedule. Um, they kind of, you know, plug in the numbers there to kind of flatten the curve, so to speak. And if you use that formula in terms of all time era adjusted scoring, Daniel Alfredson's 34th in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, 34th. That's better than Hosa. That's better than Rocket Richard. That's better than Yari Curry. That's significantly better than Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Um, again, I won't make the point that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I understand that. But I just don't think that the discrepancy between Alfredson and all of these other guys is so great that he should have had to wait five years and everybody else is in. And... Um, I think you look at his peak five seasons, they hold up very closely to Jerome McGinley and Matt Sandin and the Sedins. And look, at the end of the day, I'm glad he got in. I understand why that there's some some reservation. The guy was a better than a point per game player in 25 career Olympic games, best on best, won a gold medal, won a silver medal. Like he he did all the things that I think a Hall of Famer should do. He was the face of a franchise. For, for the better part of a decade. And so to me, he was a Hall of Famer. I'm glad he got in, but I do understand the pushback. That's that's a good case. It's a fair case. And I am going to take this uh, and edit it uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, make it sound. I, I'm going to definitely take the soundbite. I heard you say the words better than Rocket Richard uh, yeah. when I came to Daniel Offerson. So that was, yeah. uh, that's that's going to be a big one. I, I Yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't, I can't really get fired up with with strong feelings on this. I you know I would say this with you know the number that you cited, five years as captain, a thousand points um, with with a t- uh, or five years as was it five years fi- at least five years one, as a captain, with just one with just with, one team with or one a thousand team and a thousand, and a thousand okay. points with that same franchise with that same franchise. Okay, because yeah. that was interesting because because the guy that you know that I think is is maybe a similar case to Alfredson is Rod Brindamore, and he was captain for for four years in Carolina, but obviously he played with, with Philadelphia as well. And, um, and he wouldn't have I, had a thousand will, points with that franchise, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, but I will say this, 
It's an impressive point. You're lucky Shane Doan didn't have like 20 more points than he did yeah. because that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the image. To me, Shane Doan is more the guy where it's like, look, because I've said this before, when it comes to the hall of the Hockey Hall of Fame, for whatever reason, guys who played most or all of their career with one team seem to get a boost to their case. This is like the, the Bernie Federko uh, scenario where you know you can look at guys who bounced around a lot um, and they either seem to take longer, like a Doug Gilmore, Mark Recchi took a few years, Dave Anderchuk took forever. Those were guys that didn't really have like one team that they spent a decade with. Whereas the Bernie Federkos and, uh, you know, you can go on, on down the list of some other guys tend to have a, a little bit of a boost and, and get in. And, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not, uh, you know, Pierre Turgeon, obviously still not in Keith Kachuk, still not in guys that moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because it just helps maybe when you have one fan base, one media market that's really pushing a guy or or maybe there is an element of this that, hey, it is the Hall of Fame. And, you know, that, that that's an intangible thing, but maybe that should matter that you say Daniel Alfredson is the Ottawa Senators. He is that team. He is the play. I say Ottawa Senators and you picture Daniel Alfredson and maybe that should count for something. I, I do think it's going to get very interesting with Shane Doan. And then obviously the other one that, uh, uh, you know, I can, I can hear people, th- you know, yelling at their at their uh, uh, device if they're a fan of this team is Patrick Eliash, because that's a guy with yep. similar numbers, played forever, one team. You know, they would point out uh, he actually won Stanley Cups and, uh, you know, I'll go on down the list. To me, he's very similar to Alfredson because the case against Alfredson was always the numbers are fine. He played forever. He was an all star one time. Never won any awards, never won, you know, a heart trophy or anything, never was a finalist. He was a, when I say all-star, postseason, like the the one that we vote on, one time in his entire career. So he just was never like a best in the, best in the game sort of guy. But there's lots of guys in the Hall of Fame who fall into that category too. Dave Anderchuk, Dino Cicerelli, the classic one. I mean, he was never in the running for any of that. Um, I don't mind. And you know what? I'm, I'm here in Ottawa. I'm not a Senators fan, um, but I know there's a lot of happy senators fans these days between this and the arena it's a good week to be a sense fan so i'm not going to rain on the parade congratulations to daniel offertson and put it on the plaque better than rocket richard there you go ian, ian mendez 2022 yeah. athletic hockey show june 30th 2022 yep. uh that's exactly uh what i meant okay uh a couple of other things on the the hall of fame by, by the way alex mcgillney for me remains a head scratcher yeah. um I had seen, and um, Mike Harrington, who covers the Sabres, has weighed in a few times this week saying he believes the reason why Mogilny is frozen out of the Hall of Fame is he thinks that Mogilny would not want to participate in the uh, award ceremony or in the induction process. And maybe that's part of it. But if you're asking, if you told me, hey, Ian, and this is before the, and I've said this on the record, I've written it down. If you told me before, this week, you said, Ian, you get one, you get to choose one guy who's not in the Hall of Fame who should be in. You get one vote and that guy goes in. My vote would go to Alexander McGillney because mm-hmm. I believe uh, at the peak of his game, he was as good as any goal scorer that I saw. 76 goals in one season, another 50-goal yep. season. He won he a, a Stanley Cup. He was, he was unbelievable. And I think... There's something to be said for the fact that this young man risked his life to come over There's here. There's absolutely play. something like, to be said. I mean, I, I, the, I, I, like the we whole forget about a, that, and 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 really did. Like, if you're you know a younger, you're a new fan, you don't really know the story. Like, 
you hear like Alexander McGillney was the first Soviet star to come over and you go, okay, well, sure. But somebody had to be first, right? I mean, this, we're talking like, you know, spies like us, James Bond stuff, where he's like being yeah. hidden in cars and there's guys in suits chasing him around. Like it, it was this outrageous thing. And and the hall has been very clear that they consider stuff like that, your impact. And, uh, you know, he, to me, Alexander McGillney, just on his playing days, uh, it deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But you add that in. I don't get it. Yeah. I, do, I do not get why this guy isn't, you know, to me, I would put him in before Daniel Offertson. I put yeah. him in before the Sedins. Um, I don't get why. And, and, and the other thing with McGillney, and I know this is a very tough territory to get into, but it's the sort of thing where just if you were a fan, and if you are a fan and, and you go to a game today, there are certain guys that you look at and you go, I'm watching a Hall of Famer right now. And I don't know that you ever necessarily got that vibe from a Daniel Alfredson. Certainly, you know, the Cicerellis and the guys like that never gave you that. Um, and I'm not saying it should be the only criteria, but Alexander McGillney was a guy that you went to a game in his yeah. prime or anywhere near, even, even his veteran years, and you went, watch that guy. Because that guy is di- that guy has a different aura to him. Uh, even when he wasn't putting up huge numbers, he was just uh, he was just phenomenal. And if he doesn't want to go to the ceremony, don't have him go to the ceremony. I mean, it's it, this isn't the Hall of Fame is not about one day a year where everyone puts on suits and goes to you know some some function. It's about all the fans yeah. who are going to come in and try to learn about the game. And I don't, I, I you can't tell a full story of of the NHL in the '90s and and beyond without having Alexander McGillney be part of that. Yeah. You know, a couple of other things I want to point out with the Hall of Fame stuff this week. And I said you were a busy guy this week uh, in in, in pumping out columns. But the one that I I really thought we should highlight here, because I think it translates really well into a podcast, is just explaining to people who Herb Carnegie uh, was and why it was important to get him into the Hall of Fame because it's not a name that the average hockey fan would know. It's not a story that the average hockey fan would know. And yet it's as important as any story that we've uh, probably told over the last few years. So I'd love to just give you the platform here, Sean, to just kind of mm-hmm. just explain to our audience a little bit about Herb Garne- uh, Carnegie and and his his impact on the game long before um, a lot of us were even alive. I'm, I'm so happy that Herb Carnegie was inducted uh, as a builder. Um it's, uh, you know, I, I, I can criticize a lot about the Hockey Hall of Fame and their process and who they put and put in and who they don't. And that's that's part of part of the fun of this. They got this one absolutely right. And, uh, you know, and it took too long. Um, it should have it should have happened years ago. But um, it, Herb Carnegie uh, and I know a lot of fans don't know, don't know the name. Um, and, and Herb Carnegie was the was considered the first black hockey star. And this was even before Willie O'Ree. Uh, this was this coming up in the 30s and the 40s. Um, and back in those days, the NHL had been around for a little while. The NHL was the top North American league, but it wasn't the only game in town. It's Unlike today, there were other pro leagues that were close to the NHL, not quite at that level, but, uh, you know, they were they were close. And, and especially uh, in places like Quebec, there were senior leagues that were very talented players. Herb Carnegie was a three-time MVP in one of the top leagues in Quebec. He went on to uh, play for the the Quebec Aces, which was the legendary team that Jean Beliveau was on. He was actually one of Jean Beliveau's first line mates. Um, and Jean Beliveau himself said, "This was this is one of the greatest players I ever played with." And you know, he obviously went on and played on all those great Montreal dynasties. Uh, Herb Carnegie didn't get that chance. 
And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people have said, including John Beliveau, that's, that was because he was black. It was the color of his skin is what kept him out of uh, the NHL. He did get an invite to a training camp with the New York Rangers, uh, was offered a minor league contract, but it would have been a pay cut. It would have been, you know, there wasn't necessarily a direct path. So he turned it down so that he could stay in Quebec and, and just another offer never came. And there were, uh, you know, there are stories from the time that some people have questioned, um, but it, that, that Con Smythe with, of the Maple Leafs had seen Herb Carnegie and said, I would sign this guy in a second if he was one. And, yeah. had that, and in fact, that Con Smythe had made the joke that he would pay $10,000 to anyone who could come up with a way to turn Herb Carnegie white so that he could sign him for the Maple Leafs. Um, <laughs> which, again, some people say he didn't say that. You know, maybe maybe he did, maybe he didn't say that. But at the time, that, that wouldn't have been like, all that unusual a sentiment. And you can only imagine what he heard from fans and opponents and everything. Um, imagine though, like just even if whether or not he said that, imagine like instead of saying like, I wonder if we could just change the rules to allow this guy to play instead yeah. of thinking about that, you think to yourself, I wonder if we could change the color of his skin. Just think about the absurdity and, and, of that. Right. And, and not, <laughs> I mean, th- there weren't rules. Like right. it, it wasn't even a case that you, you, you could just go give him a contract, go get one of the best players in the world. Certainly one of the very best players outside the NHL. And put him on your team and go win a Stanley Cup. And yet, uh, you know, not only Conn Smythe and Maple Leafs, but none of the teams at the time, uh, other than the Rangers offering a minor league deal, went and did it. Um, he he was not in the NHL at the time, but he was a known guy. Um, it was an inspiration for a lot of uh, a lot of other players coming up, including Willie O'Ree, who cited him as as being a big inspiration. Uh, when when Willie O'Ree finally does break uh, the the barrier, becoming the first black player in the NHL, um, years later, um, Herb Carnegie never gets to the NHL. He plays a long time in in the uh, in the the, the pro leagues, uh, and then when he retires, he goes on and opens Canada's first hockey school, basically, right. and 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 spends the rest of his life teaching players how to play teaching respect, teaching, you know, all uh, like the values. And uh, he passed away in 2012, sadly. Um, and uh, certainly once the league finally put Willie O'Ree in the Hall of Fame, which took a disgracefully long time uh, that they didn't do that until 2018, it, it really there started to be some momentum behind you know, that Herb Carnegie should be in there too. His family had been pushing forward. His kids and grandkids had, had, had been public on this. Um, we at the athletic, when we did our, uh, hall of fame exercise last year, we, we made the case for Herb Carnegie and we voted him in, uh, and, uh, um, you know, I know at, the, at that time, a lot of fans said, I haven't even heard of this guy. This guy isn't part of the, the history of this league that I've been taught and that I know, um, he is now cause he's a hall of famer and it's just, it's, it's great. And I encourage people read the, read the piece that I wrote, read up on, uh, on Herb Carnegie and it's, uh, it, it great job by the by the, the Hockey Hall of Fame to put him in and also, and this is a small thing, but to put him in as the only builder this yeah. year. You know, they didn't even do, they didn't do that for Willie O'Ree that really, you know, bugged me that they, they had to put Gary Bettman in that year too. And and so Gary Bettman got a big chunk of the spotlight that Willie O'Ree should have had. Um, Herb Carnegie is going to be the only builder in this year's class, which is, uh, which is fantastic. I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy that uh, he's, he's finally being recognized in this way. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIP. Okay, so the Hall of Fame got that one right with Herb Carnegie. Where they got it wrong, and I think a lot of people, I thought Haley Salvian, uh, just yep. Haley just did a great job on this column. But um, first of all, and you don't want to take away from Rika Salonen, who became really the first non-North American player to mm-hmm. uh, get inducted on the women's side of, uh, of the game, which is great because it shows the growth of the game in Finland and in other places. So Salonen getting in was great. But they just left a blank spot. They, every year they have the ability to induct at least two women into the Hall of Fame. This year, for whatever reason, they only decided that uh, Rika Salonen was was worthy. The head-scratching one here is Caroline Ouellette, who I don't understand how somebody could win 10, count them, 10 gold medals in the course of their career. Uh, top five, uh, top three, if I'm not mistaken, all-time in scoring for Team Canada. Um, mm-hmm. And somehow could not secure 14 of 18 votes. Um what I think this is very indicative of is the Hall of Fame has an inability to properly evaluate women's players. Like that has to be the takeaway from this because there's in, in there's no other planet in which somebody with Caroline Ouellette's uh, credentials or resume would be omitted as a first ballot Hall of Famer. This should have been a slam dunk, no? The, the, the only way it's not a slam dunk is if you say we don't have room because – we have all these other worthy candidates and we're going to put in Julia Chu. We're going to put in Megan Duggan. We're going to put in, you know, there's, there's other names. So we're some people, some of the new candidates are going to have to wait. There's no, absolutely no reason that you can say Caroline Roulette is not a hall of famer. And uh, it's frustrating because when they 
opened the Hall of Fame to, to women players in 2010, they, they said, we've got two spots a year. And I know a lot of people say, why is it two spots for the women and four spots for the men? But that's not even the issue here because they don't use the two spots. They did the very first year, 2010, they inducted two women. And since then, they have never used both of their, both of their slots. And, and in fact, there are several years where they didn't induct anyone at all. Um, I, and I don't get it. And, and just in case people are wondering, you know, the, the, the way the committee works, it's very mysterious. We don't know who voted for who or how many votes anyone got. But it's, it's not a situation where you could just have so many good candidates, they all cancel out and, oh, no, we only wound up with one. Like you, there's different runoffs and different rounds of voting. They absolutely could have said, guys, we're not leaving the room until we've got two women uh, that, that we've named because we've got four or five excellent candidates. Uh, you said it's a lack of ability to properly evaluate. I, maybe it's that. I, I just can't help but feel like at this point, we criticize them every year for this. And the fact that it keeps happening, it just feels stubborn to me at this point. It, it feels almost a little bit petulant, like this is a bunch of old hockey men saying, you're not going to tell us what to do. And if you're going to try to push us around and say, we, it's got to be two women, we're only going to give you one. And we know it's going to tick you off and, you know, too bad. Um because they're using the full maximum of four men year after year. And I mean, look, it's not, you know, not, not to keep going back to Daniel Alfredson, but Daniel Alfredson has got a pretty solid hall of fame case. It's nowhere near what Caroline Ouellette has. There's not even, you know, not even close. And yet we're using all this, every slot available for the men year after year after year and never doing it for the women. I don't get it. It's, there's no excuse for it. Um, and it, it, it really diminishes the, the hall of fame in my eyes. Let's, uh, let's wrap up like we always do with, uh, opening up the, uh, the mailbag and uh, doing a little this week in hockey history here. Uh, Dan from Chicago, let's start with this. A reminder, you can email us any questions you have, email us to the athletic hockey show at gmail.com, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. We also will uh, gladly take your voicemails, 845 59. Dan from Chicago writes in, Sean, says, uh, two-parter for you guys. I know there's been some divisions in the past that pretty much made the playoffs just to get swept in round number one. The Old Norse division of the late 80s uh, springs to mind, but I was wondering, what is the worst division of all time? That could be in terms of total points, wins. Maybe the worst division is made up of history's least successful teams, i.e. teams that collectively uh, won the fewest amount of playoff games or Stanley Cups. Also, just curious, um, if the NHL did not uh, force divisional winners into the playoffs, would there ever have been a year in which uh, one of those divisions had a team that got into the playoffs but probably shouldn't have because uh, of the point system? That comes in from Dan in Chicago. So I, I know you've done this in the past, right? Like looking back, what's the worst division of all time? Yeah, I, I did a, a ranking on uh, on Grantland on this uh, way back when, and. Uh, I did it. I did it subjectively. So you know, Dan's kind of asking, you know, have we run the numbers? Can we give you a winning percentage or whatever else? I don't have that, but I would certainly argue that it's to me. I think it's a pretty easy call, and that is that the worst division uh, of all time in the uh, in the NHL was the uh, original West Division, and this is the one that came in in 1967. The NHL famously expands; they go from six teams all the way up to twelve. And in their, 
in their brilliance, the NHL goes, wait a second, we're going to have six established teams. We're going to have six expansion teams. Those expansion teams are going to get their teeth kicked in. What do we do? Oh, I know. We'll put all six of those teams in the same division, <laughs> in the West division. And it was the way. So yeah, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are in the West, even though Detroit and Chicago were still in the East. They call the original six the East division. They put all six expansion teams in the West division. And the, those teams stink. But, uh, you know, the ones that stink a little bit less, like the Blues, finish first with like 80 points. The ones in the East, you know, the teams in the East that are playing these guys over and over rack up uh, huge totals. And what really made it dumb was the NHL had a playoff format where the two divisions just played within themselves and each division sent one team to the Stanley Cup final. So you can imagine how that went. It was three straight years of original six East teams sweeping the expansion West teams. And that it, it culminates in the, the famous uh, Bobby Orr goal against the Blues. Three years in a row, three sweeps. It was the Blues every single year, three trips to the final, not one win. Um, just ridiculous. So I, I put them there. Um, the Smythe division pre-Oilers was quite awful. Uh, and then we also got to give a shout out to the uh, everyone's favorite modern uh, entry South in this, this field. The South Lease Division, the Capitals, Hurricanes, Lightning, Thrashers, and Panthers, which is what's interesting is that was a division for 14 years, I want to say. They won two Stanley Cups. Yeah. The Lightning and the Hurricanes, you know, back-to-back the uh, Stanley Cups. So, uh, which, you know, a lot of the other divisions that I had did did not uh, did not ever get there. But, um, yeah, that, that was just a bad division and lots of years where they only sent one team to the playoffs, even though this is back when there were three divisions, so... The other two divisions, three divisions per conference, I should say. The other two divisions in the in the East are sending seven out of the eight teams, and they're only sending one. I don't think there was ever a year where one of the South Lease teams got in, even though they finished ninth or worse in the conference. But certainly, there were there were a lot of years where they went in as a three seed because the division winners got the top seed and and had home ice against a team that finished well above them in the standings. Uh, Jesse wants to know uh, which player has the distinction, and, I, and maybe this is because Corey Perry is top of mind. Corey Perry has gone mm-hmm. to the Stanley Cup final now three straight years and lost Dallas, Montreal, and then uh, uh, again this year, Corey Perry gets to the uh, gets to the Stanley Cup uh, with Tampa and, and doesn't quite get over the mountain. So he goes to the Cup three times and loses, but Corey Perry does have a Stanley Cup from 07 in Anaheim in his back pocket, but Jesse wants to know, what is the record for most Stanley Cup final appearances by a player who never won the cup, and I think you got the answer, right, Sean? I'm I'm pretty sure I've got the answer. I'm pretty sure the answer to this one is uh, Brian Prop, who was a, a very good player in the '80s and '90s, uh, who had very very bad luck when it came to the finals. He he, uh, as a rookie, he was on that Philadelphia Flyers team, seventy nine eighty. This is the team that had the the thirty five game undefeated streak. Uh, they go to the finals. They lose to the New York Islanders, the start of that dynasty. Flyers fans would say they lost to Leon Stickle for blowing the uh, offside call. Um, but the Flyers uh, Flyers lose to the Islanders in 1980. Uh, they go on to go back to the final uh, two more years in 1985 and 1987. 87's the, the Ron Hextel year. They lose to the Oilers both of those years. Um, finally, uh, in during the 89-90 season, Brian Propp gets traded from the Flyers to the Boston Bruins. Uh, at midseason, goes on to lose again to the Edmonton Oilers in 1990. So that's his fourth trip to the finals, four losses. And then presumably, Brian Propp at this point is so sick of going to the final and losing (laughs) 
that he as a free agent signs with the Minnesota North Stars, one of the worst teams in the entire league. He's done with this. No more finals, no more playoffs. Well, the Minnesota North Stars get into the playoffs because it's the Norris division, and then they go all the way to the final, one of the great miracles Cinderella runs, and then lose to Mario Lemieux and the Penguins. Uh, and that made it uh, five years in a row, or certain not five years in a row, but five years in his career that uh, Brian Propp went to the Stanley Cup final uh, with three different teams, and he went 0 for 5, never did win a Stanley Cup. And, you know, and he lost to some powerhouse, essentially dynasty teams, the Islanders, the Oilers, yeah. and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, yeah, like, he, that, that's exactly <laughs> it. He lost to the dynasty Oilers, the Gretzky, or sorry, the dynasty Islanders, the Gretzky Oilers, uh, the Messier Oilers, uh, then in 1990. And then you finally get back to the final, and oh, look, here comes Mario Lemieux and Yarmer Jagger and everybody like that. Um, it yeah. Certainly, you could you could make a hell of an all-star team out of guys who beat Brian Propp in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up with this week in hockey history, I'm wondering if you can help me. You know, I like segues to take a topic from one to the next. Help us out here, Sean. How would I segue from Brian Propp to Chris Chelios? Yeah, Don, no, gee, I can't, I can't I, imagine. Nothing, it, nothing it, connects those two guys. Yeah. Oh wait, it just hit me, and by it I mean a furious Ron Hextel uh, charging out to, uh, of course, Chris Chelios, the guy who his it was his hit on Brian Prop that caused Ron Hextel to flip out and lose his mind in uh, uh, the '89 playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so there I, you go. I mentioned this before. The crazy thing about that is, you go back and watch that. That was Game Six. It was still a close game. Like yeah. it wasn't like a seven to one game. There was like it was like a two goal game, and Ron Hextel was like, "Forget it. I'm just gonna. It's more important to me that I destroy this dude." Uh, and uh, he went and did it. Yeah, because again, in game one of that series, Chris Chelios with one of the most, like even Pavel Bure thought that this was an elbow. Uh, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> uh, he, nasty. Yeah. He connects on Brian Prop and and hits him. Prop's head hits the ice. It's one of the worst hits you'll ever see. And then the Montreal Canadiens go on to uh, knock out Philadelphia. They end up losing the Stanley Cup to to Calgary. But the reason why I want to bring up Chris Chelios is this week in hockey history, June 29th, 1990. So 32 years ago, this week, Chris Chelios traded by the Montreal Canadiens to the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for Denny Savard, a rare kind of one-for-one deal involving megastars. And I'm going to ask you this. Has there ever been another kind of essentially a one-for-one deal that saw Hall of Famers get traded for each other at any point in their career? Now, I know there's been three for two and the whatever, but just in terms mm-hmm. of players being traded, one-for-one, Savard for Chelios, they're both in the Hall of Fame. Have we ever seen this okay. uh, before or since? Before I answer your question, is this a one-for-one trade? Because there was Wait, a was there a second-round pick? pick? There, there was a second-round pick thrown yeah. in, so, but there were no other players. So that's my question is, is okay, that... So- Yes, a we're one for say, one. Okay, yeah. In, in that case, yeah, there there have been uh, maybe a surprising a surprising number of, of deals where there were one player on each side, uh, and and they were they were Hall of Famers, um, and also a bunch that you might think of as in that category. That like everybody thinks Joe Newendike for Jerome McGinley, and like poor Corey Mellon is just sitting there like, dude, come yeah. on, like I was I was in that deal too. But I'll, I'll throw some out at you. Um, uh, Terry Sawchuk for Johnny Busick was maybe the the first really yep. great one. That was a legit one for one, no draft picks. Another one that had no picks was uh, Brandon Shanahan for Chris Pronger. That's one that uh, you know you you uh, way back in the day. That was a a straight up one for one. 
Uh, some other ones that uh, were did have picks uh, involved, but um, Phil Housley for Al McInnes, uh back in the day was was one. Wait, um, Phil Housley got traded for Al McInnes? Yeah, that's how Al McInnes went from Calgary to St. Louis. Is that Phil Housley had I, a stop in uh, yeah in St. Louis and then geez. went to Calgary. Yeah. I I remember Phil Housley in Cal. You know what? I think the reason why is I think of Housley for Howard Chuck. Yes, which is another great one that people kind of remember as one for one, but uh, had had some other pieces involved, including the draft pick that turned into Keith Kachuk. Interestingly enough, um, the uh, um, some other ones would include uh, Mike Gartner for Glenn Anderson would be another one. That one had oh, yeah. a pick it was a deadline involved. Deal. Yeah, um, and uh, that uh, and. Are there any other ones? I'm trying to think now. The you know, obviously, if you're if you're saying just that had Hall of Famers on both sides, you then you get into Peter Forsberg, Eric Lindros, but there were a ton more players in that. Um, the uh, there was a, a two for two trade back in the day that had three Hall of Famers. It was uh, Scott Stevens, Mike Gartner, Larry Murphy, and Bob Rouse were all in a, a trade together. But I think that's and, and oh, and uh, Brandon Shanahan was traded for uh, Paul Coffey. Uh, but Keith Primo was in that deal as well. Was and there the not a Paul Coffey, Mark Recchi, big? I know Rick Tockett was part of that, but I don't think Tockett's in the Hall of Fame. But yeah, but there was were, a big deal there too, right? Paul Coffey got traded a bunch of times, and they were almost always in like really big trades with like a bunch of dudes. Um, so it was he was never in like a real one for one type situation. But and then I guess the other one I should mention is because um, we mentioned Pronger for Shanahan. But if you if you count it. Then um, the uh, Brendan Shanahan, Scott Stevens kind of uh, free agency kerfuffle, so to speak, with the, the yeah. arbitration and everything would would be that was a forced trade. Uh, but that would fall into the category as well. All right. Listen, we'll leave it there because we've gone uh, just over an hour here, but this has been fun. Now, next week, we should point out uh, you and I are actually going to be on site right at the, at the draft uh, in Montreal. Yep. Now, are you coming like. Uh, what's your deal? Or do you even have a plan? Like, obviously, for a guy like me, I cover the Ottawa Senators, so that's kind of going to be my focus. Uh, draft week. Are you you're coming to the draft? What's your what's your game plan? Like I, in terms well, of writing, I, I have no plan, of course, but uh, I'll I'll have some some draft related fun stuff during the weekend. And I believe the plan is I'm going to be one of the uh, live bloggers for uh, I think both days of the draft. So. Uh, round one Thursday night, uh, we'll be live blogging that, and uh, for at least uh, some of day two on Friday as well, I'll be involved in that. The look on your face as you start to talk about live blogging day two of the draft—I wish everyone mm-hmm. could see your face. That day two of the draft, let's be honest here—it's it's a grind. It's it's a grind, and yet the one thing that gets me every year is how fast it moves. Uh, they fly through. These draft picks to the point where like they're announcing a pick. Some guy in the stands stands up, hugs his mob. He's halfway down the stairs and they've already announced the next pick. Like it yeah. is. And and as the reason this always gets me and you know this well, I run some fantasy football leagues. You're in one of them. I can't get the draft to go anywhere yeah. near that speed. I need to know like I I, I I wish Jim Gregory must have left like a book or something, a handbook, because I, I got to wait 20 minutes for people to flip through magazines. But the NHL can get like every 30 seconds for, for three straight hours. They're just running through these picks. It's wild. 
Yeah. And again, uh, listen, we're looking forward to getting to, uh, to Montreal next week. We're going to certainly pressure Pierre Lebrun into a cottage invite, make it weird for it's him. It's not going to happen, man. Just just no. understand. It's not going to happen. But if we, we might get to watch him run a jukebox, and that's that's honestly even better. There we go. We'll leave it there. Uh, again, we'll talk to you again next week. Love to hear from you. If you've got any questions about our podcast this week, by all means, drop us an email, The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Not a subscriber with us. You can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Sean and I love to do some fun trivia, things like that. You get a bunch of bonus content from our entire network. You'll start with a 30-day free trial there, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that.